0: Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger at First Baptist Church Gulf Breeze, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. So, this morning, um, if I were to put the message as a, if I were to give you an infomercial to try to get you to buy what I'm selling today, it would go something like this Are you lonely? Are you feeling purposeless? Are you looking for hope and a future? Do you need some substance in your life? Then turn your me into a we and you will find it. How's that, are you ready to buy? Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter four. Ephesians chapter four. it was, it was an interesting thing preaching at First Baptist this morning because I intended to go all the way through this, chat, this passage, but, but the struggle was real for me in that it seems as though there's so much in the beginning few verses that if we just skip over them, it would do us an injustice. And so I started thinking, you know what, we're not really on a clock, and, and you guys don't know where we're supposed to end, except I just told you. But um, so, so I just want you to, to, to walk Gently through this passage with me today and then next Sunday, and I want you to soak it up because I believe that if we catch this, if we can get this, we will find uh, an even greater amount of joy and, and fulfillment in the pursuit of us finding our special sauce, because remember, that's the context. Last week, I started this message series called Finding Your Special Sauce, and the idea is that God has built you, and He has called you, and He's created you for a purpose. You're not just an accident. You're not just this this freak of nature that God, um, okay, well, we'll just put them on here. No, God crafted you, and He designed you, and He knit you together while you were in your mother's womb, and He has a purpose for you, Right this moment, I, if, if I were a betting man, I would say that there are some of you who were thinking, yeah, maybe that's for them, but not for me. So you might have a past. You might have some failures. You might have some brokenness. You might have some, some scars or a wake of bodies, broken relationships and all those things. And you're going, you know what? I, I get that Apostle Paul was the chief of sinners, but I'm, I'm right there with him. Listen, I want to tell you that do that you're not to believe that lie. You are not too far gone. You are created by the hand of God, and He loves you, period. And so in Ephesians chapter 4, what we have is we have this this beautiful laying out of of who we are as the people of God and who we are as a person who is part of the people of God. So chapter 4 Verse 1, as a prisoner of the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. He says, look, I want to I write this letter to you, and as I'm writing this letter to you, I want to remind you to live the life that is worthy of the name on the back of your jersey. To live a life that is worthy of the calling you have received. So that word calling, that word worthy, right? Right? It's you're, 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 you're living truthfully and faithfully to the calling of God on your life. But what you need to see is that even though this is directed to you, it is directed to us in that if you spend your life searching for your purpose outside of the context of the body. So in other words, if you're trying to find yourself as a, as a, for you, as opposed to trying to find yourself and how you relate to the rest of the people of God, you're going to miss it. Let me illustrate it this way. So if I were to give every one of us a balloon and a marker, and I were to say blow up the balloon and um, take the marker after you tie, by the way, the hardest part of blowing up a balloon is what? It's the first two breaths, and it's the tying part, Right? So you blow up the balloon, you tie it off, and you write your name on the marker, and then you throw it into the middle of the room. And if I were to give you these instructions, I want you to find your own name. It would be kind of mass chaos, right? I mean, in a a group this size, it would take probably a couple of minutes for all of us to find our own name. But what if I altered the instructions just a little bit, and what if I said, write your name on a balloon, put it in the middle, but I want you to help other people find their name how much faster would it be? We would all have our names like that. Here's why. Because everybody who picks up a balloon would say, oh, this belongs to you. Because I'm thinking about us as a we, as opposed to me as a me. Not only is it faster, but it's also more fun. Because there's, isn't there a certain joy about being a part of something bigger than yourself? So, Paul is writing to the Ephesian church and he says, uh, I want you, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. The calling you have received is in the context of the body. And what he's saying here is, act in accordance to your calling. I saw a story and I think I even shared it on my Facebook. I, didn't, I don't think I did. I shared it on my Facebook page of a, a true story of a. Of a, a um, successful entrepreneur, he, he started a magazine, um, but when he was in high school as a junior, he was supposed to take the SAT because he promised his mom he would do it, and his, his high school career was not stellar at all. In fact, it was pretty much underwater. He didn't go to class. He hung out with the wrong crowd, you know, typical story of, of, of someone who just has no vision or purpose when high school, but he promised his mom, and so he went to take the test, and then he got the results back, and he got a 1,400-something out of 1,600, when he looked at the results, he goes, wow, I must be smarter than I think I am. He showed his mom, and the first question she had was, okay, did you cheat? Because she knew her son, and she knew that he was not 1,400 caliber, and yet he said, Mom, I tried to cheat. I honestly did, because I didn't, I, I, but I couldn't cheat the way it was formatted and the way they had people watching, so I guess, I guess maybe I'm really smart, so the next year, he started going to class instead of skipping and hanging out with his buddies. And his teachers noticed that he was showing up and they also heard about his 1,400-something test score. And so they said, well, maybe this is a diamond in the rough. We should invest more time in him. And then he graduated high school and he graduated college, became very successful. And several years later, he got a, a letter from Princeton, New Jersey, from the SAT review boards. And the letter read something to the effect of, dear sir, dear sir, We periodically review our testing practices, and we found a slight error in your SAT results. We accidentally sent you and 12 other people the wrong scores. Your actual score was a 700. His real score was half of the recorded score or of the distributed score, and so... He wasn't as smart as he thought he was. But here's the story in this. He started acting like the scores said he should act. And in doing that, he became the score that he wanted to be. Does that make sense? I just sound like Joel Osteen there. I'm so sorry. I just realized I had this picture. Let me, let me, let me, within the context of God's glory, here's the deal. Paul is saying, live a life worthy of the calling you have received. You and I need to recognize whose name is on the back of our jersey. It's not my name, and it's not your name. It's the name of Jesus. And so the team is more important than the player. You say, well, how can I find fulfillment and purpose in that? Well, you find fulfillment and purpose in that because that's how God made you. I would argue this fact. I would argue that you and I cannot find true satisfaction and meaning and purpose in life apart from relationships with other people. Now, we can, we can be a person on our own island. We can do our own thing. But we were made for relationship. What's the first thing? Well, not the first thing, but what's, what's the big thing that God told Adam When he made Adam and said, Adam, I want you to create all, I want you to name all these other things. What did he say? It's not good for man to be alone. In the heart of a man and in the heart of a woman, our constitution is such that we are made for each other. And here's the beautiful part about what we're talking about here, about what what Paul is addressing. He's saying, essentially, this is the big picture. God is building a family, and because he's building a family, that family is diverse, and that family is is, is messed up, and that family is not in sync, but as he puts them together, and as they start acting like a family, they become something that is a beautiful picture of the kingdom of God. And so that is who we are, as the body of Christ here on this corner in Gulf Breeze, Florida, We are Story Point Church. Now, we're not the only church in town, thankfully. We're not big enough to be the only. We we don't have enough space to be. We don't need to be. But we have a purpose in God's kingdom. But the way we fulfill our purpose is by each one of us knowing our purpose. So you want to know your special sauce? Start by thinking about how your special sauce fits the wider kingdom of God through the local body of Christ. Now, let's flesh this out, okay? Paul then gives us, in verse 2, three heart characteristics of how to make this happen. So, my illustration here, I'll, I'll work on it through the, through the whole time. I probably actually need to turn this around to make it easier. So, what God has done is God has put us here as a local church body, right? Now, you say, well, wait a minute, in in the New Testament, there wasn't local churches. Yeah, there really were. There was the church of the city, but think about it. In Jerusalem alone, if you had 3,000 people joined together in the church in one day, how are they all going to meet in one place? How is one pastor going to pastor all of them? It's not possible. So they were one church of the city, but they were local uh, expressions of that church within the city. They met in their homes, and they met outside at times before there were persecution and stuff. So what, what, what you do, uh, or what God has done, essentially, is illustrated in this wheel. Now, I built this wheel this week, and it compo- it's composed of different parts. It's composed of a rim, it's composed of a hub, and it's composed of spokes. And then you've got the spoke nipples here. And then, of course, I put tape on it so I can take the next step and put a, a tube on here and a tire. But this doesn't come like this. It comes in parts and pieces. And so you lay them all out and you start to lace them up. Now, what God has done with the local church is he's laid all the pieces out and he begins to lace the wheel. Now, lace the wheel means that you take the spokes and you put them in in a certain direction, in a certain order, and 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 it's really a cool science if you think about it. This is actually called a three-cross, which means you start with the keyhole. There's There's the valve stem. This is the key spoke, this one right here. Everything starts with this. So when you start building the wheel, you lace the wheel together, but it's flimsy and floppy. And and it, and it it it's not functional as a wheel. It's essentially, it's essentially a potential wheel, but it's not really a functional wheel, right? If you were to ride on it, then it would not work at all. What God has done is He said, "Okay, I'm building the body of Christ for us. How this works for us is we are the local body, a a local body, but there are certain characteristics that have to happen in us." so that he can begin to make this wheel a useful wheel. The three heart characteristics are counterculture, and they're actually counterintuitive. The three are these. It's humility, it's gentleness, and it's patience. Verse 2, he says to the church, Be completely humble and gentle and be patient. Bearing with one another in love, and make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So, in other words, there is one wheel. All of these parts, though, have to work together understanding that they are just parts that are useless unless they are put together to form the wheel. Now, these three characteristics, the first one is humility, right? Verse two, be humble, be patient. uh, Actually, be humble, be gentle, be patient, right? Humility was not even a word that the Greeks and the, the Romans would have understood. Back in the days when these were written in Jesus' time. If you were If you were to be humble, it would mean that 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 is a horrible, terrible thing the The uh, philosopher Aristotle would tell you that true wisdom comes from pride it 's knowing who you are it 's all these things it 's self assertion Think of how upside down the world is when you consider these three things. Where in the world do you find the the, the um, virtue of humility a Promoted or projected virtue in the church, not in business. Now, there are some business books out there that are starting to catch on, but this is, this is a Jesus idea. When it comes to humility, here's, the, here's, here's what it means humility is the antithesis of what? Pride. What is pride? Pride is the beginning of all sin. Think about it. Lucifer fell from heaven. Why? Because of pride. He said, I want to do it my way, not God's way. Adam and Eve sinned because I want to do it my way, not God's way. Cain and Abel, uh, that whole uh, disaster happened because Cain said, hey, his, his is better than mine. I want mine, right? And so pride is this, is this me first idea. It's this self-centered, it's this self-promoting heart attitude that is at the very root of everything broken in your life every relationship in your life and in my life that is broken it is broken fundamentally because of pride test that poke it and prod it is that true or not why now it may not be your pride it may but maybe the other person's pride you right so not every relationship in your life and in my life that is broken is because of us right Sometimes it's somebody else, but if you, if you consider both sides, pride is involved somewhere in there. Paul says, to be the church or the people of God that we are called to be, live a life worthy of the calling, humility has got to be the chief heart attitude. That means I'm thinking of you more than I'm thinking of me. When you look at the, the, the culture in which we live true humility is hard to find because everybody's jockeying for first, right? You even see this in the animal kingdom. If you take a pack of hunting dogs and you put out a giant bowl of food, there's not anybody, go ahead, go ahead, I'll I'll wait until you're done. No, it's whoever gets there first and whoever can eat and not breathe the longest is the one who's going to get most of the food. Seriously, you watch that. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's just this, right? And and people are like jumping, people, not hope you don't have people. That'd be weird. Dogs are like pushing in. But humility says, I'm going to consider you more than I consider me. The second one is a result of genuine, true biblical humility. So if I'm humble If I've taken away my pride, and then I am gentle. This word gentle doesn't, it does not mean what you think it means, right? Princess bride, come on, come on. I got to work on my references apparently. (laughs) To be gentle, another word for gentle in the scripture, or another translation of the word gentle would be meekness. Again, the Greeks and the Romans didn't think that meekness was a virtue. They felt it was a vice. To be meek does not mean weak it's an m not a w to be meek is simply power under control it is a self-controlled person in the arena of their thoughts and in their speech now think of how beneficial this would be think of just your own broken relationships how many broken relationships begin with pride but gentleness or the ability to not react is, is, is a second part of the brokenness, right? I'm going to do this because you did that. As opposed to saying, I'm not going to react to you. I'm going to be self-controlled. It's not weakness. It's the ability to say, I don't have to prove myself. I don't have to exert myself. I don't have to make you understand. It's this, it's this, it's this self-confidence, if you will, in, in ultimately what is truth. So a person who is mature is a person who is humble and then who doesn't have to convince anybody else of their own worth. Can I just take a little side rabbit trail here? How many times do we spend, how many times do we find ourselves trying to convince somebody else of our own worth? We do it in the way we talk, we do it in the way we act, you know, we flaunt things, we show things. It, 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 it's almost like we don't believe it ourselves, and so we have to tell somebody else in order for us to really believe what we're trying to say. That's not maturity. That's actually being, being an adolescent. I, I don't say that pejoratively, I'm just saying when, when a person is mature, they can walk into a room and the room not like them and they go, okay, have you, have you gotten to that place in your life yet? I know a lot of you have. Isn't it freedom? Like, you don't like me? Okay. Oh, you're going to delete me? Okay. I mean, I, I, it's not that I don't like... I mean, I'd love to be friends, but I mean, if you... I, okay. How marvelous is it, is it for nobody else to have control over your feelings and your thoughts and your emotions? Because you don't have to convince anybody. You don't have to prove anything, right? When you have humility... That, is, that, that stacked on top of that is a gentleness, a self-control of how you react to people and how you speak with people and how you deal with people. And then on top of that, you have patience. I love this part. What patience is, is the ability to wait for God to do his work in the situation. Amen? Amen. Amen. That's good, ain't it? That's worth the price of admission. Some of y'all, it's like 25 cent, right? Here's the deal. So to have patience and trust that God is at work and your job and in my job in that situation is to be gentle and kind and humble and even allow our own self to be misrepresented so that God could finish the work inside of a person's life. When you put these three things together, what you have is a group of people that are indescribable. You have a family that every other family looks at and says, man, I want to be like them. You have a family that is attractive because you don't get that anywhere else in the world. Here's the most beautiful, I keep saying beautiful, I apologize, but it really, it just, I'm mesmerized by, by, the, by the picture that God is building here. So you have humility, And you have gentleness, and you have patience. And and as that is all happening, you are bearing, because of those three hard attitudes, you are able to bear with one another in love. To bear with one another means you are essentially saying, yeah, they're they're not quite there yet, but that's okay. They're still growing. They're still learning, and, 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 and it's not like you're casting judgment on them. You're actually doing quite the opposite. You're saying, you know what? I'm willing to be a little bit wronged because I know that, that there's just some things just aren't seen yet, and, and, I, and, and maybe I'm not seeing it either, so we're just going to let some time pass and let God build this person and build me, and, and the final product's going to be beautiful. And so when you bear with one another because you have the three hard attitudes of humility and patience uh, humility and gentleness and patience what you have is you have a love that is a god sized god kind of love you have a wheel that is becoming true that can be useful in the bigger purpose of a wheel, a bike, or a car, or a tractor, or whatever, right? So here's the thing about this word love. It says uh, bearing with one another in love. Now, you might have heard that there are three Greek words used for love. There's actually more than just three Greek words, but three Greek words that we normally play off each other when it comes to this term love. So the first Greek word is eros, and it's a physical affectionate kind of love. By the way, all three of these loves are good loves. None of them are evil, but they're just deepening in their, in, in their level of love. So the eros love, a physical, affectionate kind of love. You have the phileo love, which is a brotherly love. So what, what state, what country, uh, country it's country. Uh, Philadelphia, phila, phileo. That's why Philadelphia is known as the city of That's where that comes from. You could add a V8, right? So so you have the eros, you have the phileo, and then you have the agape. Now agape love is a God-sized, the heart of God kind of love. Now here's what I like about this. Eros love is all about me. If there is an affectionate eros kind of love, it makes me feel good, it excites me, it makes me um, um ha- have desire especially when it comes to a marriage relationship i hope you have some eros kind of love that's a good thing god made us that way right but it but it's a one-sided love it's about me a phileo love is a reciprocated love that brotherly love the more they're friends to you the more you're friends to them and that kind of love grows right that's a good thing that that's what a lot of us have it's it's a neat thing to have So you have a self-love or or a self-centered love, I guess you could say. You have a a reciprocal love. And then you have the agape, which is a God-given love. And that is one way, the other direction. Agape love does not need a response. Agape love does not set conditions. Agape love does not set boundaries. Agape love is, I love you. Because it's the kind of love that God calls each of us to in our marriage relationships and in our church relationships. Could you imagine what it would look like for me to love you and for you to love me with an agape kind of love, which is only possible when we are humble, when we are gentle, and when we are patient, and when we bear with one another that kind of love would make the world say, what is going on up in there? They would. And you know what? We don't need to be, we don't need to have smoke machines and flashing lights to be attractional as a church. All we really need to do is love each other like Jesus said, we're supposed to love each other. And then it gets better than that. It doesn't work if we just love each other. It means anybody who walks through those doors gets the same kind of treatment and the same kind of love, even though they haven't earned it or deserve it. Because guess what? You haven't earned it or deserved it, and neither have I. When it comes to God, right? So what God is doing with each local church all over our city, all over our country, all over the world, you are a part of this master grand designer Who is building his family or his kingdom, but it's a family that is so diverse. You have people right now of different ethnicities, different languages, different economic statuses, different cultures, different everything who are worshiping the same exact God one faith, one Lord, one hope. one, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and in all and of all. But us locally, we're this one wheel. Now, let me tell you about wheel building. Does anybody do this, by the way? I never have done this until this week. This has been sitting on my living room uh, coffee table for a couple of months now. My wife is very happy so in order to, to build a wheel, I told you about the lacing and all. Um, you, have to have a, you don't have to have the tool, but you have to have some way, that is, some way of measuring. Because if you do it by eyeball, it's going to be wonky. That's a Greek term, wonky. So you have to have a, a, a standard. So this frame is a tool that is a truing tool. And you, you can tighten it and you can loosen it. You start by lacing and all of these have a different purpose. You say, well, they're all spokes. Yeah, but this spoke is the key spoke, the most important spoke in the whole wheel. This spoke is not the key spoke, but it's important because it's on the other side and it brings counterbalance. So they're not the same, right? There's different tensions. So to build a wheel, you start, you lace it up, and then you spin it, and it goes like this, right? It's like a it's like a boneless skinless chicken. You ever seen one of them jokers walk? That's how they walk. Like that, right? Very very loose. Come on. That was better than you gave me credit for. That was way better. Poor chickens. So what you do, listen to this. You start putting tension on the spokes. And your tension is done with this. A spoke wrench it fits the nipples on the spokes and you stick it on here and you begin to tighten it. Now, as you tighten it, you don't just tighten one, you tighten all of them. And guess what? If you miss one or if one refuses to cooperate, the whole wheel is off balance. You cannot have a perfectly trued wheel if one spoke will not cooperate. You can have a wheel. You can still use it. But based on how much cooperation you do or don't get will determine how smooth and how perfect the ride is. So as I'm thinking about this illustration, I think the stand is the word of God. It is our measuring tool. It's what gives us the constant. It's what shows us what true looks like. And I think the tool, I think the tool is the Holy Spirit. It's the gift of God as the Holy Spirit inside of us. And so what's good about that is it is God who is tensioning the spokes. But here's the thing. God tensions us in relation to, or God tensions you in relationship to how he tensions you. Because So let me me try to, as, as you spin this and you start tensioning, this wheel has less and less of a wobble. And so you keep tightening this down and you keep, you keep narrowing the distance so that you can, at first you want to see the big wobbles, but once you fix them, you start dealing with the smaller wobbles. But as you get to the smaller wobbles, you tighten one side and you loosen the other. Exactly what God does in you and in me. He tightens one of us and he loosens another one of us. It's like this give and this go. And what's neat about building a wheel is that once you fix one part, it actually just shifts the problem somewhere else. It can be very frustrating or it can be very cathartic. I sat, it, I, like, I, like I had no frame of reference, but I found myself just mesmerized going, Wow. Wow, over and over and over and over and over. And it finally was like 2 in the morning. I'm going, I'm probably making too much noise. Because the tighter they get, the more they go boink, boink, boink. And I'm thinking, did you hear that in the the room, by the way, Shannon? Were you asleep already? I just knew I was waking her up. I finally put it down. I said, I got to go. But what God is doing with us is he's creating tension within us, within relationships, within the body, within circumstances, and he's making all of us the proper tension so that we can hold the wheel together so that the wheel can be useful for a greater, grander purpose. Most of us don't like tension, do we? Guess what? Tension is what makes a movie great. You take a movie and you pull out the tension, you have a Why do I spend that two hours, right? I mean, do you ever watch a movie where there's no highs and no lows and go, man, that was great? No. You want it just at the edge, and and he's just about to die, but then somebody comes in and saves the day. There would be no Superman if there were no tension, right? Right? There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope, you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Verse 7, listen to this. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Each one of us, you and me, have each been given an apportioned amount of God's grace. And that is displayed through the gift that he gives us. Now, we don't have time to talk about the gift this morning. But what I want to leave you with is this. We are a wheel in a bigger picture of what God is doing on the earth. But don't ever forget that we don't always see how God is using us and what he's doing. When I heard Lee's testimony about how he just turned on the radio and god changed the dial he heard the sermon and it was the right time at the right place and he trusted jesus right then it it gave me hope that hey when we're on facebook live or we're we're, we're on blab tv it is possible, and not just possible, but I believe that what God is doing is He is putting people in front of the screen who need to be in the front of the screen when they need to be there to hear the message of the gospel. We may never get a letter, we may never get a call, but what I do know is that God's word will not come back void. And He puts you in the same spot, he puts you in your business, and he puts you in a store, and he puts you in, in, in an accident or a car crash or whatever. You say, well, wait a minute. No, God uses us in the strangest places, doesn't he? I'll tell you this little story. So right out in front of the hospital, um, this was, I don't know, six years ago. I wasn't a volunteer firefighter then. I was just a regular Joe Schmo citizen, and um, I was actually in Benson's getting my hair cut, and I... And I heard all the sirens and of course yeah, your sirens you got to go find out why they're there right at least you don't do that too I, i've always done that i've always been a siren chaser curious i guess and so since i was waiting to get my hair cut i went out and i saw that there was an accident right there at the light well i i went over and i and i i uh Helped one of the ladies out of the car, and as we were standing there, I noticed she was shivering and just because it was kind of cold, it was in the wintertime. So I went to my truck and I got my, my hunting gear out and I got a camo jacket and I put it on her, and she warmed up a little bit. A few years later, she wound up right here sitting in the church, and it wasn't long after that that her son was born again, and then his kids have followed. And, and what you need to know about this guy is that his whole life had been a wreck. His whole life had been a series of, of brokenness after brokenness after brokenness. He was the guy that you would have said, yeah, he doesn't want to have anything to do with Jesus. And he actually listened to a CD that was given to him by a person from the church and he let that CD sit on his counter for weeks and weeks and weeks. And then one day decided to pick it up and listen to it. And when he listened to it, the Holy Spirit convicted him. And shortly afterwards, he trusted Jesus. And, then, and and I could tell you more of this. It just kept going and going and going. My whole point is, how would we have known the way God would have laced all of those things together? Except that only God can do that. Most of y'all know who I'm talking about, don't you? I'm not going to tell you who it is. You just have to guess. Send me a text, I'll I'll send it to you. So, all of these things are laced together. And here's why I'm telling you this because somebody in this room is saying to yourself, Well, I don't have much to offer. I don't preach. I don't sing. I don't play an instrument. I'm not funny. I have a pretty pedestrian life. I'm kind of boring. I don't have a lot of friends. I don't have a huge Facebook following. I don't have any computer skills. And you're listing all of the things that you can't do and all of the reasons that you're just a a little peon in a group of giants. But may I remind you, that was sarcasm in case you didn't catch it. May I remind you that without this little piece right here, This wheel doesn't get built. The smallest part on this hub is as important, or the smallest part on this wheel is is, is as important as the hub and as the rim. The rim and the hub get all the attention, but baby, let me tell you, you take away that little spoke nipple and you do not have a wheel. Do not despise the little things. Amen? Turn to the person next to you and say, look, You don't have to have a bunch of skills, you just got to be faithful to what God has given you to do. Amen? One of the coolest things that you could possibly do is be an observer and an encourager. We're going to get into this next week or the week after, but one of the greatest gifts that God gives His church is the gift of encouragement because we all need a little bit of keep on keeping on, don't we? Amen. Amen? All right. So let me close this out. We're a wheel. You are a part of that wheel. The more you tighten, the more tension you get, the truer it becomes, and eventually you put it on a bike and you run with it. That's what God is doing in us. By the way, have you noticed a different spirit since the tent? There, there is a noticeable, palpable presence of the Spirit of God. That's because God is doing something. He's not just doing something. He's doing what He wants to do. And it's a beautiful thing. God, I pray that that you would would let this, this passage sink into our hearts. Father, I pray that you would help us to understand your purpose, not only for us, but for us as the people of God here. Father, I pray that if there's anyone listening now who's not trusted you as Lord and Savior, that they would do it now. Not wait until next Sunday. Let them do it now. We ask in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. You can find out more about